Well, before we get into Romans, I have to say, I, I got another Tooth Fairy story for you. You ready? So, Brandon was chewing on a spoon, which he shouldn't have been doing. And I told him, you're going you're gonna to knock one of those teeth loose. You chew on that spoon. Like, the next thing I know is all of a sudden his front tooth is loose. I'm like, dead, burn that kid. So I said, well, be careful what you eat. So he goes over to Doris's house. And Doris feeds him a hamburger. He swallows the tooth. So then they have a good laugh. Him and Max rolled around on the floor for a while about that one and stuff. And so then uh, he gets home and he's like, well, what do I tell the tooth fairy? She's going to be upset. I said, well, we can write a note. And he goes, the tooth fairy can't read. So we had to draw out a cartoon of what happened with his tooth. You know, first scene, tooth loose, second, yeah. So anyway, so he, he, he got his money, put it in his piggy bank. He's all excited now. But man, he was really stressed. He was pretty upset about it. So yeah, you'll see him with his missing front tooth today. Uh, well, let's get into uh, the book of Romans. Um, as you can't tell, we're going into Romans. This is going to be a fun book. We are going to be in Romans uh, oh, for a few weeks here and there. Um, probably a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Depends on how fast we cover certain things. Uh, it, it'll be a fun book. This is a great book to, if you want notes. I mean, this is a theology-rich book. I mean, some books are theology-rich. But, I mean, the, the, the story of Ruth, I mean, we got a lot out of it. But it's not like a Paul book where, where it's just like, Almost every other word you have to stop and look at and so forth. So we're going to be in Romans 1 this morning. It starts out, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through his spirit of holiness was declared with the power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how do you like that one sentence? One sentence. Though he, oh, th- through him and for, for his namesakes, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to, obe- to, be, to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through you, or thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart, is preaching the gospel of his Son. And my witness, how constantly, is my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, that, uh, God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want to, you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to bo- both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome." 
I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the few, or first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, we are not going to cover those 17 verses this morning. There's just no way. It is A.D. 58, and the Apostle Paul is in a, a town called Corinth. And, and hopefully I'll get some pictures of mine scanned in. Before, you know, before we went digital, we had this thing called film, you know, have you ever heard of it, you know. So I got a whole bunch of pictures from, from Athens and Corinth and stuff on a trip that I went, but I don't have them digitized yet. Um, but uh, he is in Corinth. <coughs> His secretary, Tertius, has laid out some quills and some sheets of vellum and some, some ink is ready for him because Paul has told him, I want to write a letter to Rome, to the Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic, to the Roman Christian church. Tertius is the first person to ever hear the letter to the Romans. And boy, does Paul know how to write. This thing is so rich. Yeah, he has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We get that. And and that really helps, so believe me. And some will say there's no way that Tertius could have written down all the words that, that Paul as Paul was talking because he gets talking so fast. And, you know, almost like when I, I get up here, sometimes I'll just get going and going and going and going and going. And there's no way you can keep up. We don't know the process. We don't know if he, you know, Tertius, you know, invented his own shorthand <laughs> to take notes. Uh, but we get the sense that Paul just kept talking. And they probably developed some way of, of getting everything in that Paul wanted to say in these letters. Paul is an amazing man with an, who is an amazing writer. He understood, his mind understood, complex spiritual issues. Now again, he had the, the mind of the, you know, he had the Holy Spirit within him. But God took a person who was already talented and put the Holy Spirit in him and used his abilities toward God's favor. Now, the Apostle Paul is in Corinth, and he's never been to Rome, and he's writing to the Romans. He wishes he could go to Rome. He's traveled all over the world. He's a world traveler, literally, and he he just has never gotten there. And Paul was the type to help start all these different churches. You know, way back we started, we, we studied the book of um, Philippians. And, he, you know, Paul went into Philippi and he walked in and he, you know, was recognized by, by some women who said, come and teach us. And Paul taught them and, and that began the church there in the city of Philippi. And he would write letters back uh, to them and say, to so-and-so and so-and-so, I remember talking with you. I remember, you know, we started the church together and he would write back encouragement things or, or tell them, hey, I heard you were doing this. You really shouldn't be. He would write to them and he would remember them. But with Rome, he didn't start the church. He'd never been there. He doesn't know the people. History doesn't tell us who started the church in Rome. The Catholic church will say St. Peter started the church in Rome. But they're completely wrong because St. Peter was in Jerusalem at this time. He wasn't even in Rome at this time when the church was already started. He got to Rome later and he was actually crucified upside down there, right where the Catholic church tells you he was crucified in Rome. I mean, that part is true. But he didn't start the Roman church. And the Apostle Paul didn't start the, you know, we don't know who started it. But we know that Paul was in communication with them. 
I mean, it could have been one of the Romans that was in Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost and the time, you know, right before Pentecost and, when, you know, the 40 days before where, where Christ was, was crucified. It could have been one of the Romans that was in town for that celebration or, uh, you know, it could have been uh, Jewish people who were from Rome that, that went back and started the church. Uh, or it could have been somebody from Paul's ministry of other, other places that went there. We just don't know. But we do know in Romans 16, Paul writes back to them and says, you know, he has friends in Rome, Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple who, who stayed with him at different times in different ministries, and Epineatus, who was, you know, a convert to, to Christ in the province of Asia, you know, think of Turkey or Asia Minor, that area, and, uh, you know, Mary and Adronicus and Junius and, you know, a guy named Rufus and, and his mother, uh, Rufus's mother, who literally became like a second mother to, to Paul, cared for him and fed him. So Paul has this battle with the Holy Spirit. Paul keeps saying, I want to go to Rome. I want to get there. And the Holy Spirit is doing everything he can to hold off Paul until the right time. Paul wanted to connect with the believers in Rome because, I mean, Rome is the, the quintessential area. I mean, think of, think of Washington, D.C., think of Paris, think of, of London. I mean, this was the city to go to, and Paul just wanted to get there. He wanted them a, to, to give them a good foundation before they were corrupted because Paul had all these teachers, all these false teachers that literally would follow him around, and their job was to follow him around and say, oh, no, 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 what he's saying is wrong. And they would start bringing in false things into the churches. And, and this would happen over and over. And he would warn the crowds, you need to watch out. These guys will take your grace away. They are, they are by the law only. And he would warn them over and over. They would take justification by grace out of the picture. They'll try to, to drag you back into the old gnarly religion that they, they were a part of. And they even tried to kill him. I mean, we even see this today where people think they're justified in killing someone because of their religion. In the town of Mosul, you guys would recognize that name if you paid attention to the news at all. Christians from the time of Christ, their heritage goes back to that time in the city of Mosul. They're wiped out. They're literally beheaded. They're literally killed. Or they've gone into hiding. I mean, I'm sure the Lord has a remnant still around somewhere. But, I mean, they're being pushed out because of their religious beliefs. And it goes all the way back to the time of Paul where they were trying to kill him. Paul's life was literally in danger at times. He had to be careful. Now, in AD 58, like I said, Rome was the center of the world. It's the fourth year of Nero's rule. And we do this math based on, you know, go studying Corinthians and Acts and Romans. And you come up even with the month of either February or March or March of AD 58. Isn't that amazing we can come up with that? So I'm just going to say he wrote this on February the 9th, okay? That's just, okay, yeah, okay. You're not going to go with me, okay. Well, uh, Gaius Demetrius Carbola had just resumed the war with the Parthians over Armenia. Okay, he's a Roman general. And there's an Egyptian Messiah right now that's causing all sorts of problems in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, I mean, literally, there was all these different people say, oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. Well, Jesus was the only one that met the criteria for the Messiah. But many people didn't believe him. So there's all these other guys that come. And he took 4,000 people out of the city of Jerusalem and trained them to be soldiers. 
He comes back to Jerusalem and 30,000 Jews join them. That's a big revolt. This is what led to the destruction of Israel in 70 AD. But he is called the the Egyptian, this this Messiah figure. And he marches into Jerusalem and he confronts Felix and the army. And with the days, Felix and the Roman army literally annihilate annihilate these guys. And they crucify all the soldiers along the Roman road leading into Jerusalem. That's a a lot of crucifixions. It's a lot of people lined up on the road. Thousands of men crucified on the roads to basically say, you need to stop messing with us because we are in charge. Now, see, you see, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't mess with the Roman Empire. In fact, he knows many of the leaders. He knows many of the soldiers. Um, his enemies are really more of a, a, of a religious nature than a political nature. He's living in Corinth. And we'll talk about Corinth when we start talking, when we get into Romans 1, 2, and 3, and we talk about sin and, and different things. Because in Corinth, all you had to do was open the door, and sin was, was right there. I mean, Corinth is the, the San Francisco, Amsterdam, Palm Beach of the world, kind of all rolled up into one. Even at that time, when, when someone said, oh, man, he's out there living like a Corinthian, everybody knew what that meant. It meant he was having a midlife crisis, and he's out there just doing whatever he wants to do to have fun. So Paul is there and he's counteracting the ways and and the teachings, but he's not pointing the finger. He does it with grace, with the law of grace. You know, it helps helps us with our our behavior. Paul likes to come in the middle of grace and say, okay, now, now, Alan, in the middle of all this grace, there's this one thing that you're doing, you need to stop doing that. And it's a lot easier to take when somebody comes and points something out to you if they do it with grace versus come to you just right off the bat. Well, you need to stop. You know what I'm saying? We all hate it when somebody comes right at us, don't we? Oh, man, it's so much easier to take with grace. And Paul does it with grace. But Paul wants to go to Rome. But the Holy Spirit is telling him, you need to go to Jerusalem first. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, you know, uh, Lord, I, I have to go to Jerusalem I mean, I mean, uh, let me rephrase. I, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I want to go to Rome. Why do I have to go to Jerusalem? But there's a good reason for, for, for me to go to Rome. There's a good reason for me to be there. Jerusalem, I mean, John is still there. James is still there. Peter's still there. Thomas has already left for India by this time. Matthew is gone. But there's plenty of other people there still in Jerusalem that can handle whatever you need to be handled, Lord. I do not need to go there. Honestly, they don't need me there. I do much better out here. There's something about the Jews. I just don't get along with them. They don't like me. You've called me to minister to the Gentiles. The center of the Gentile world is Rome. So therefore, I need to go to Rome, right? And God says, no. I still want you in Jerusalem first, Paul. You see, what was happening was a great persecution had arisen in Jerusalem. And Paul had once been a part of the persecution of the Christians there. But it got worse. At this point where the, where the church in Jerusalem had pulled all their funds together just to try to support one another because they could not get jobs as a Christian. If you went out there and said, you know, I'm no longer a Jew, I'm a Christian, or I'm still a Jew, but I'm a Christian Jew, you, you didn't get jobs anymore. People didn't buy whatever you grew anymore. 
So the church had pulled all these funds together just to try to survive. They couldn't work because of the name of Jesus. You see this happening still today. You see this happening where the European Union will get, get together and say, well, we, we need to figure out how to grow our own fruits and vegetables because we're importing too much from, from you know, that Zionist state called Israel. And you see this still happening today. And we can see this where we don't get a job if we say we're a Christian or something. We can see this happening, and it's even worse in the Middle East. So Paul, he's gone you know, throughout the whole known world, and there was a lot of wealthy Christians that he knew. Paul personally took all the money that he gathered, and he took it to Jerusalem to say the whole world is behind you guys. Lift up your head. Take care of the widows. Take care of the poor. Take care of yourself. He wanted to go to Rome, but he had to wait. So he sent them a letter instead. And later on, he says, I'm sending you Phoebe, a leader here in Corinth, an awesome lady. Show some, show some respect to her. Listen to her. I want you to welcome her, he says in Romans 16. So let's go back to the, the very first verse today. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul first, you know, he introduces himself as a bondservant. The Greek word here is doulos, one who gives himself up to be a slave. So a slave by choice. Now, Paul didn't make up this word. Paul, we actually have words that we use today that Paul made up. They're nowhere else. They were introduced as Paul wrote his letters, and he would take two different words, and he would slam them together, much like Texans do. We slur all our words together, you know. But Paul, he would just take two words, put them together, and it would be a whole new word that we use today. This one he didn't make up, though. But this word, all three cultures, the Greek culture, the Roman culture, and the Jewish culture would have understood this word. And it's not a very attractive word. Servant or bond servant. For us, it has a different meaning. But for them, this was a, was a dumb word. This was an offensive word, especially for the Greeks. I mean, think about the Greeks. You have these famous Greek writers that, that many of us have read, like Plato or, or Ribi, uh, Ribides and, and the Stoics and Epicureans and, and all these different ones. And I mean, even though the, the Stoics and Epicureans did not get along, they were on opposite sides. They would all agree upon one thing. They valued human freedom. To be able to think openly, to say your opinion freely, and to do what you would like to do in life freely. In a sense, much like America. There's a place called uh, Mars Hill in Athens. And uh, you, you, when, it, when I, I took a mission trip there and led a trip there and, and had all these college students, and the first uh, day we got there, the, the center was closed down. That was their day off. So we got there the night before, and they gave us all the money and, uh, that we had sent over for food. And they said, you're in charge of your meals. You can eat wherever you want to eat, which is very unusual for a mission trip. And we're like, really? So, I mean, we ate some great places, you know. And, uh, and they said, well, we'll see you on Tuesday morning. We got there Sunday night. And they showed us where to meet them on Tuesday morning. We had a slight meeting on Monday. And they said, you guys can do whatever you want on Monday. So we're out traipsing around uh, Athens and, and going here, going there. And we get up near the, near the um, oh, part, I mean, uh, the, what is it, the Acropolis. Thank you. 
my mind just went blank. We get up near the Acropolis, but it was closed for the evening, and we're standing on this little kind of outcrop of rock, and we're like, well, we wonder where Mars Hill is, and we're looking around and talking, and well, you know, we go on, and, and we start doing our mission trip, and several days in our mission trip, we took a break and did a little tour, and then on the tour, we get to this little outcrop of rock, and they said, well, here's Mars Hill. We were standing on Mars Hill wondering where Mars Hill was. I mean, I, you know, you got to love that. But this is a place where you could say whatever you wanted to say. Your opinion mattered. It wasn't a safe zone. Sorry. Everyone would listen. Everyone would think about what you're listening. I mean, they would think about what they were hearing. And, and they would say, eh, that's interesting. Or they'd say, man, that guy's off his rocker. They didn't care. They just, they, you know, they, you weren't told what to think. Especially to, to tell somebody what to do, you, you, that didn't happen. I mean, think of these as Texans. I mean, Texans, they're proud. They do what they want. They, you don't tell a Texan what to think, right? You guys don't know many Texans? Well, you know one. So anyway, but that's exactly what you do to a servant, right? What do you do with a servant? You tell them what to think. You tell them what to do. You, you know, they, they, don't, they don't do something without asking. And Paul is saying, I am a doulos. In a Greek culture, that's not respected. In the Roman culture, that is not respected. The slaves, uh, I mean, the slaves that they owned, they, you know, many of the slaves that they owned were conquered slaves. They were lucky to be alive. Now, we can teach you our ways, they would say to a slave. But it wasn't a noble trade. It wasn't a noble thing. For the Jewish culture, they had slaves too, usually people who owed money. And we've talked about this, you know, if, if you owed money, uh, uh, you could just, you know, trade off your kids and pay off your debt for a while. And then the kids would come back a little later and it, it's all good, you know. I mean, in our culture, we go, what? But that culture was pretty standard. But it wasn't noble, then you have a doulos, a person who chooses to be a slave. I mean, they were looked down upon. And Paul, you know, <clears throat> for Paul to open this way, Paul opened to the letter saying, Paul, a doulos, a bondservant, a slave. They would have went, What? I mean, think about it. The letter comes and everybody gathers around. I mean, this is the famous the Apostle Paul. I mean, to get a letter from him, I mean, unbelievable. Whether you agree with politics or something, but if the President of the United States sent a letter to us, we'd sit, all gather together and read it. You know what I'm saying? No matter what your politics. But, I mean, Paul was famous. And for him to start out saying, I'm a slave. I mean, to them, that's a dirty word almost. The Romans would have picked up on this right away. Because there, you know, there's a legal way for you to choose to be a slave. And this book was written to whom? The Romans. So we have this opportunity to be free. And you choose to be a slave? I mean, come on. I mean, what does this look like? Well, say I was your slave. And over the years, you were, you were, you know, being a great boss and, and all that. And I grew, uh, I grew to enjoy working for you. And, and in fact, it was, uh, we, you know, it was just more than a, a boss 
um, slave relationship, become friends and all that, and you're fair to me, and you, you included me in your household, you treated me well. So when it, was, you know, when it came time for me to be set free, I would come to you and say, how do you feel about me staying on as your slave, as your doulos? Now, if you agreed, you would go out and literally get an ear piercing and an earring put in the ear. I mean, this is, you know, you see the kids, I say kids, you see people today, they, they get the earring and it's almost stretched out the ear and they got the disc in it and all, something like that, okay? I know some people are like, ugh, you know? Well, think about it. I mean, that's how they looked upon it. When they saw that, they went, oh, he, he chose to be a slave? It says so right there in his ear. It says so. Very recognizable. I mean, talk about a conversation piece. A person who could be free chose to be a slave. And then you got in a conversation, well, why did you, why did you choose to, to stay to be a slave? And they would tell you how great their master was, how benevolent, how they took care of him, how they met his needs. And here's what Paul is doing. He's opening a conversation in a way to stimulate questions. The very first sentence, a bondservant, a slave, a doulos. Now, did Paul have his ear pierced? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. We're not sure. But it causes us to kind of wonder about Paul, kind of wonder about him. A doulos, a servant of Jesus Christ, now, some, some translations would say, uh, you know, we'll say Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll hear the Lord Jesus Christ or, or Christ Jesus a lot over the next year and a half because he says it over and over and over. He willingly is a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul is fine with that. Now, the first thing a slave would do when they looked in the mirror, and yes, they had mirrors back then, the first thing that they would do is they would see the, the reflection of themselves and they would see the ear. You know, when you have something odd in, on your head, you look at it. A doulos. I serve because I choose to serve. It's his primary identity. For Paul, he entered into religion a long time ago. He was a slave to legalism. But he broke free of that. And now he's a slave, not to religion, but he's a slave to the creator of the universe. He went from persecuting Christians to meeting Christ in Acts 9, to meeting Jesus, and since then, learning to become a slave again. He humbly approaches the Lord. He comes to the Lord daily. I am your slave. What would you want me to do today? Because that's what a slave did. They got up in the morning. What did they do? They go took care of the master. They went and asked the master, what do you want me to do? And that's what Paul's saying. As a slave, I get up in the morning and I go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? See, Paul you know, presents a whole different way of, of life's fulfillments as a, as a human. I mean, I, I, I think of this and I go, cool concept, but, but I'm, I'm a Texan. Couldn't you wait to bring this up in chapter 5? Couldn't you give us a foundation before you came out and said we have to give up our independence? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. 
I mean, I go, I live in the United States. We don't talk about slavery. Slavery is not a good subject, Paul. Couldn't you translate that differently for us? People won't understand what you're saying. Let me help you kind of rewrite this from the beginning. The title and first line is supposed to grab you so you'll keep reading, right? You know, like it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Or it was a dark and stormy night when the soldiers came for me. I mean, you kind of read on, right? Look at some other books. Look at the titles. They're not going to go for this, you know, in Romans. They're not going to, I am a slave. How about purpose-driven life? Our best life now. You know, anything but I am a slave. Slavery is not a great, you know, bookseller, Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Well, he balances it out in the second part. I mean, apostle is a great word. Slave, (laughs) not so much. But apostle, it means sent with authority, right? Hopefully you'll shake your head. We've covered this before. It means sent with authority. Even though he wasn't one of the original 12, he was still given the the title and the authority of being apostle. And he explains in detail why he qualifies for this and in, in other books like Corinthians and Galatians and, and you know is not reminding us so we'll be so impressed. I'm the apostle Paul. Wow. You're an apostle? I mean, you know, there's an impression, you know, we'd be impressed about that. But he's, you know, he's doing it for one reason only. He's saying, I have clearance at the highest levels. I speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Corinthians, he says it another way. He says, I am Christ ambassador. Now, he doesn't hoard this title for himself. He also says, guess what, guys? You are also ambassadors. But back then, the word apostle was rare. I am sent, I am one under authority, and I have authority. So you need to listen to what I say, is what Paul is saying. I'm going to lay down some doctrine for you. And it's not my opinion where you can say, well, I don't like that part, so I'll agree with all this other stuff. And that part I'll just leave alone. No, Paul's saying, I am saying this with authority. You need to take all of this as your foundation. This is from God. This is from God. And you will feel when we get into Romans, there's some parts where, you know, even Romans 2, you'll feel like, man, I, you know, when we get there in the middle of October or something like that, but, uh, you know, you'll say something like, I don't, I, I don't know about that. But you need to understand, this is laid down by the Apostle Paul who has the authority of God himself. Paul is going to say, I gave you my credentials at the beginning. Therefore, I speak with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, so listen to me. You know, if you hadn't already been told that he was a bond servant, you would think he's on an ego trip. You know, and this is the danger of, of just flipping to like Romans 8 or, or Romans 12 or, or reading little bits and pieces. The danger is we might read that and we may go, well, Paul, I mean, you kind of got on your high horse, didn't you? But if we understand what Paul is saying from the very beginning, that he's not on an ego trip, that if we understand that he was a bond servant, that he's saying, I am a slave, if we miss that part, we miss the whole point. Paul was an amazing man. And as he got older, he got more hum- uh, humble. 
He writes in 2 Timothy late in life, he, you know, he writes all about humble leadership. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now let's look at the word set apart. The Greek word is arpariza. It means severed. I am severed, excluded, set apart, ostracized, or distanced. He is saying, this is exactly what happened to me. I, would, I was severed from my relationship from my Jewish buddies. They no longer want to be around me because of my relationship with Christ. My old friends, they think I'm out there now. I've been separated. I've been pulled aside for a purpose. When people come and hear me now, it becomes obvious to them that I'm a little different. And some of them love me, but many people just agree, you know, disagree with me. They ostracize me. You know, Paul had friends all over the world that would do anything for him. But he also had enemies all over the world that were trying to kill him. There was no middle ground for Paul. Much like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. He became more and more like Jesus Christ. This is like us. We become Christians and our lives change and and the rest of the family, they treat us like, oh, well, that's the unusual brother. He's a little kind of wacko out there. You know, it's kind of in that cult thing. He believes in Jesus. And then we may think, oh, no big deal. They'll settle down for a while. And they're like, I'm not so sure, you know. They never settled down for Paul. They continue to be after them. He was always treated by a whole group of people like he was a little wacky, just a little off. Now, let me tell you, there's a, little diff- there's a difference between being treated wacky because you're a little wacky. You know what I mean? No, no one, no one here is wacky. Okay, okay. I mean, we don't call that persecution when we bring it on. I mean, if you lack social skills, but what I'm talking about is beyond social skills. They think you're wacky because of what you believe. That may not ever get better. You may just have to get used to it. Some would say, well, I can't get used to that. My husband thinks I'm wacky. Well, you know, or my parents. All because I go to church. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. Most likely he was married. And and the reason why we think that is because he couldn't be a part of the Sanhedrin. And we know he was a part of the Sanhedrin. By law, by Jewish law, he couldn't be a part of the Sanhedrin if he wasn't married. So therefore, we believe that Paul was married. But do you ever hear about Paul's wife? No. Many scholars, now we're not sure, but many scholars believe that that his whole family kind of ostracized him because of his faith. Now, again, we're not sure. They could have died at an early age or something like that, but we don't know. It's never mentioned. When he became a bond slave of Jesus, he left a very supportive, rich family. I mean, Paul had money. He trained under the best guys that you could train under. I mean, his family, he had money, and he was ostracized by his family and friends for what he believed. Then this letter... If you feel like, man, man, my family or my friends just kind of threw me out because of what I believe, then this letter is for you. You should take heart for this letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the positive thing about being set apart is 
you were a tool that sometimes tools are set apart for certain jobs, right? I mean, how many of you know that, that there are certain tools for certain jobs? You just can't take a hammer and a screwdriver to everything, can you? I mean, you can try, but it doesn't get you. You know, a job is a lot easier with the right tool, right? And I was hoping to use Joel, but Joel's out there, sen- uh, out there setting up. So, Vincent, come on up here. Come on up. He didn't know I was going to do this. I mean, Vincent's young, a little muscular, you know, doesn't have the weight on him. I used to be like that when I was his age. Now, Vincent, I, I need you to bend this pipe for me. Can you bend that pipe for me? I need a 90-degree bend. Go for it. No, 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 no. Your hands. I guess you could use your foot. Okay, well, I don't want you to bend it right now. You could use the foot, but I guarantee it won't be a nice bend, okay? But let me show you with the right tool. Set this thing in there like that. Okay, set that down. Well, looky there. Right tool, right job. Pretty quick, right? Nice bend. I know, thank you. I'm strong, I know. Thank you, Vincent. But with the right tool, now this tool is an expensive tool, unfortunately. This tool I bought several years ago and has only been used a few times. But I couldn't complete the jobs that I completed without this tool. Do you understand that? The right tool at the right time for the right place. Set aside for a specific purpose. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So the gospel is what we call the good news. To go into the, you know, to go into the world, to go into religion and bring good news into it. Not bad news, but good news. How cool is that? The Apostle Paul knew that he should, you know, he knew what he should be working on and what he shouldn't be working on. Did you know there are times when when there's things that you could be doing, but you shouldn't be doing those things? How freeing is it to know your job and not worry about the other stuff? Yes, I could do that, but I'm not a tent maker now. I mean, here I'm standing in this tent, and I've been looking up at the corners in the tent. I mean, they could have done a lot better job sewing this tent together. I should go out there and show them how to, how to really do this, because that's what Paul did. He was a tent maker for a long time. Yeah, I could do that again, but that's not what God has called me to do. So therefore, I'm not going to do that. Paul knew that he had a certain amount of time left in his life, and he knew what he should be about. So he went to make the most of it like he was supposed to do. Since we are a doulos, we should be going to our master and asking, I could do this, I could do this today, or I could do that today. What should I be doing today? And as you develop the relationship where he answers, and you have to listen for God's answer, where he simply tells you, this is what I want you to do. 
how I want you to spend your day, your week, your month, your year, your life. That's it. Right here. And this is where the battle begins. Well, what about this? What about that? And he's like, no, 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 Alan, Alan, Alan. Focus. This is what I want you to do. Now, the younger that, you know, the younger that you get this, the younger that you start to understand this, the more fulfilling your life will be. Because, you know, life is not fulfilled with a million things. Life is fulfilled in a few things done really well. And this is a challenge to us. This is a challenge to us at different points in our life. You mean I have to follow a master all my life and I have to listen to him? I have to go to him? Yes. Why is that? Because he's a great master. He's a great teacher. He is a great leader. And he will lead you to the right path when you're in the middle of sin and you need to get out of it and you don't know how to get out of it. You go to him and he will lead you the right way. Because life is not just about happiness. Now, you can be happy along the way. There'll be times when you'll be sad along the way. But I guarantee if you follow the right master, you'll be fulfilled along the way. And it's worth it. Because he begins to separate us out and say, well, this is the tool of Alan that I want to use in this way. And this is the tool of Bob that I want to use in this way. And you can insert your name. This is the tool of, you're a real tool. Did you know that? You're a real tool. Both ways. And God sets us aside. We've been set aside to do things the right way. And it's not always just spiritual things. How we live, how we work, how we date someone, how we go to school, how we treat our teachers, how we treat our coworkers, you know. I'm talking about everything. When you're called to do something in life, you have a sense of passion for it, and it's all about what God is asking you to do. Now, an older person might be sitting here thinking, man, I wish I'd heard this when I was younger. Well, guess what? You heard it now, and it's never too late to start. You can start that fulfillment path right here and now, because God has not called us to a bunch of stuff. He has called us and blessed us with certain gifting, with certain talents, and it brings together with our passion. And when all those things happen, unbelievable things can happen. And all of a sudden, we're not living for ourselves. We're not our own bosses. All of a sudden, it's not just my decision. And we start to go, man, I I need to check in with God. And then after we check in, we're released by a master who has all these resources at his fingertips. And he says, oh, it's time for that tool at this moment and this time to be set apart. How set apart do you feel today? Do you need to be asking God, what are my skills? What are my desires that that need to come from you today? What do you have for me today, Lord? Ask God to show you why you were set apart in this life. And once he does, your fulfillment really begins at that point. So, hey, we did one verse today. How do you like that? Why don't we stand and, uh, and pray for our meal that we're fixing to go partake in and enjoy the rest of our day.
Lord, I thank you for calling us, calling us to be a slave. And Lord, we, many of us really just have no clue what that means to, to be a slave, Lord. And I, I pray that you teach us. You teach us what it means to come to you on a daily basis and, and ask what you want us to do. I pray that you're gentle with us. I pray that you're easy with us. But Lord, most of all, I pray that you guide us and, and, and get us on the right path. For those that are in the middle of sin, Lord, that, that come to you, that you would show them a path to, to get out of that sin. For those that are lost and, and kind of wandering around and they really don't know their purpose, Lord, that you would show them that they've been set aside for a purpose in this life. For those that, that just need to come to you, Lord, I pray that they do come to you. And I pray that you show them that you're the, you're the master of fulfillment in this life. For us that uh, may not have that fulfillment, Lord, that you would show us how to get there, how to begin that. I pray, Lord, as we start the book of Romans, that, that you really teach us through this book that every week that we come in excited about what you have to say. I pray, Lord, that you bless our time this afternoon as we eat together, that as we break bread together, as we commune together, as we build relationships, that you bless that, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you this week. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.